welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Thursday. Welcome into Soccer Morning, worldsoccertalk.com. Good to have you in. Big show for you today. A couple of excellent guests on the web program. Mr. Jonathan Tannenwald from Philly.com will join us very shortly. We're going to talk to him about Philadelphia's big win over Crew SC last night in Chester, 3-0. And speaking of Chester, we'll talk to Jonathan about the Philadelphia Inquirer's call uh, for criticism of Nick Sakevich and the Philadelphia Union over there. Failure to revitalize the area of Chester, Pennsylvania. If you've ever been to a Philadelphia Union match, you know exactly what that's all about. Also on this program, our friend David Cartledge from Spain will join us. We'll talk about the Champions League final, certainly coming up on Saturday. We'll get David's take on what's going on in regards to the FIFA scandal within Spain. And also talk about the news of Rafa Benitez being hired by Real Madrid. First and foremost, seems necessary to do a recap of where we sit right now in FIFA Apocalypse 2015. I need some music, Trevor. Dun dun dun, something like that, or one of those like hard-hitting news stings. You know what I'm talking about, like Inside Edition or Current Affair, something like that. Uh, the state of FIFA, FIFA Apocalypse right now is uh, is that it continues to unravel. New news every day as we move along here. People flipping new revelations happening every uh, every day as uh, this continues to be a story that dominates the sports headlines. We've got uh, the latest on Chuck Blazer. The um, the testimony that he gave to the FBI has been unsealed, and in it, he has admitted to taking bribes related to the 1998 and 2010 World Cups, as well as the 1996, 98, 2000, 2002, and 2003 Gold Cups. Uh, essentially, if it was a tournament... Chuck took a bribe for it. Now, we know about South Africa trying to scramble and determine exactly, uh, well, th- the claim is that they're trying to determine exactly what happened to that $10 million gift that they sent CONCACAF's way. We all know it ended up in the pocket of Jack Warner. Speaking of Jack Warner, still down there in Trinidad, still not yet extradited to the United States. As far as I know, not currently detained uh, under arrest. He bought time on a Trinidad television network to uh, to s- send out a message. Uh, this was a paid advertisement, essentially, in which he said one uh, said a couple of things. First, that he fears for his life, that he's fear that he's handed over materials to his attorneys, a huge trove of documents, copies of checks, other evidence that he alleges shows that FIFA, among other things, corrupted the 2010 elections in Trinidad and Tobago. Not 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 FIFA presidential elections, not soccer elections, actual elections in Trinidad and Tobago. That's pretty that's pretty damning uh that's a pretty big charge from from Jack Warner. He's talking about an avalanche at this point. Now remember in 2011 he threatened a tsunami would come down on FIFA. Uh so we, it remains to be seen if uh if Jack Warner's going to make good on his uh on his threats. In Australia, federal police have been uh, have been looking into a five hundred thousand dollar donation to Concacaf for stadium redevelopment that was sent as part of the bidding process for twenty twenty two. This was public money, and it was uh, significantly less than the original four million dollar donation that the big committee actually suggested be made to Concacaf. 
Again, the, the quid pro quo stuff happening here is pretty stunning. Essentially, if you didn't make a gift to somebody like Jack Warner around a bidding process, you were probably not going to get any votes out of that particular region. Remember, Jack controlled pretty much that entire Caribbean block, the CFU block. I'm not sure he had the U.S. or Mexico or anybody else in his pocket. But obviously, Jack Warner, as an executive committee member, voting on that, on that World Cup, because that was the process then. Exco members voted on the World Cup. So uh, the, it's not even about the CFU. It's about Jack Warner. My apologies for getting that a little twisted here. We're talking about presidential elections in which everybody votes. We're going back to the, to the World Cup bids in which only the executive committee members voted. By the way, uh, allergies acting up today. If I happen to sneeze on the air, my apologies. <laughs> I just want to warn anybody that that may be coming. FBI sources, and this is not necessarily brand new, but this is worth repeating. FBI sources have reiterated that the 2018 and 2022 World Cup bidding processes are part of the investigation that's currently on, uh, ongoing. And we're expecting more indictments to come down the pipe pretty soon, I would expect, the way things are moving and how quickly they are. Meanwhile, Qatar, 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 whoever, whatever you want to say it, has continued to deny, deny wrongdoing and has an, issued a statement saying that not one single worker death has been caused by the preparations for 2022. Uh, okay, not one? Not one. Zero? You're saying zero. I mean, at least make it believable. This is a little bit like when a dictator holds an election and gets 98% of the vote. Yeah, okay, sure. Nobody's died on the job. Really? None. Okay. The Jordanian FA, and we talked about this, we made, this may have been hit on this show yesterday, or certainly on the Syria show. The Jordanian FA is exploring legal options to have Prince Ali bin Al Hussein installed as FIFA president in Lydasep Blatter's decision to step away. I don't think there is a FIFA statute to cover this. And I very seriously doubt that Prince Ali is going to take the job or get the job uh, considering the way things are happening right now. First of all, would you want that job? In other non-FIFA apocalypse news, Dick Advocat has decided to stay on as Sunderland's manager, signing a permanent deal. He originally decided to leave. Now he's coming back, so I'm not sure what's going on there. In terms of the Champions League final, Giorgio Chiellini is out of that final. And we were looking forward to that, not only because Chiellini's one of Juve's best defenders, but also because of the, the, the reunion between Luis Suarez and Chiellini after the World Cup fighting incident. The U.S. U-20s play Ukraine, which is either tonight or tomorrow, depending on how you look at it, the chance to go ahead and win that, just go ahead and win that group and lock that up and move on to the... They're already moving on to the knockout rounds. This would solidify the group for them. And the news from um, the television world is that the New Zealand-USA game that the United States won four to nothing. Was that the final score? Averaged two hundred and forty-two thousand viewers. Now that game, if I'm not mistaken, kicked off around two forty-five a.m. Eastern time, roughly midnight West Coast time. So roughly three o'clock on the East Coast, roughly midnight West Coast time. Two hundred forty-two thousand. Are you serious? People are animals. That must have been a very strong West Coast audience because. I wasn't awake. Trevor, did you stay up for that match? Did you add to these ratings? Because I sure as heck didn't. 
We'll check. We'll uh, we'll check with the cut. The beginning passed out. Yeah, maybe. Well, maybe you count then. Maybe if you fell asleep during the game, you still count. We'll talk to, to Jonathan Janowalt about that as well. All right, here we go. Taking a break. Coming back. Jonathan Janowalt, Philly.com. We'll talk to him about Philadelphia, uh, with their big win, and also this uh, this editorial about Chester PA. Don't go anywhere. Be right back. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we go, back on Soccer Morning, joined now by old friend of the show, former fill-in host of Soccer Morning, as a matter of fact, Mr. Jonathan Tannewald from Philly.com, the goalkeeper on Twitter. Hello, Jonathan. I'm in headless chicken mode. Good morning. Yeah, you were just telling me you're getting ready to, uh, to take off for the Women's World Cup in a couple of days. Uh, meanwhile... Got some developments out of Philadelphia when it comes to uh, to the men's game. The Union with a big win last night over the Columbus Crew. Now, I know the Crew rested a couple of guys. Uh, Michael Parkhurst didn't play. Kai Kamara didn't play. But this is still a an important win for Jim Curtin and, and Philadelphia. Absolutely. It's three wins out of four now. Uh, and it, it shows the importance of having Vincent Noguera and Christian Maidana on the field at the same time. Because it, it simplifies the roles for both of them. Maidana just gets to be the attacking creative guy. Nogueira is the shuttler between the lines. And Brian Carroll can sit back there and, and, and break passes up and not have to worry about doing things beyond his skill set. And look, as, as he will admit, as, as Jim Curtin will admit, Brian Carroll's getting up there. He's getting older. Um, but he can do a job in the last couple of games. He, def- he has definitely been doing a job. Uh, what does this say about uh, about Jim Curtin's leadership, about the, 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 the state of the team? I mean, you know, we talked a lot about how they needed reinforcements. They were just, just weren't good enough. They're clearly not a playoff team. Now, three wins in four doesn't mean that they are a playoff team, but it's certainly a nice, uh, a nice launching platform. I, I have never particularly thought that Jim Curtin, per se, was the problem. Um, I think that he is hamstrung resource wise obviously everybody knows that um and i think that if you if you gave him say vancouver's resources he'd win if you gave carl robinson or jesse marsh the union's resources they wouldn't win i think all three of them are pretty darn good coaches but if you're as hamstrung as the union are sometimes you can't find out the the talent that's on the field, as you mentioned, getting Maidana and Noguera on the field together helps uh, helps Curtin's team a lot in terms of roles and responsibilities. I, I still think they're lacking up, up front, and they've been reliant on Connor Casey at times. CJ Sapong gets a goal last night. Obviously, Sebastian Latou as well. They're just not consistent enough players, but if they can get on a roll, is that enough to cover the union until they can bring in reinforcements, if there are reinforcements coming? Well, the guy who really needs to get on our roll is Fernando Aristegueta, and he's been snake-bitten with injuries, including last night. He had to came off early, come off early. I'm very happy for CJ Sapog uh, to have scored last night, to have his head back on straight after being away from the team because he was arrested for DUI. Um, 
you know, it, it's, it's a pretty serious matter and a lot of people make a lot of jokes about it. And I don't really think we should. Okay. Um, fair enough. And, and, and I'm glad that he is back in shape physically and mentally and is contributing and, and is scoring goals and is happy. Vincent O'Gara also on the on the score sheet for the Union. Um, and, and Steve Steve Clark, by the way, uh, exhuming the ghost of Chris Seitz. Yeah, that was not uh, that was not the uh, the best goalkeeping uh, I've ever seen. Now, obviously, O'Gara gets gets gifted that goal. Um, <laughs> I don't know what to say about that other than uh, you know we've all had those in between moments, and Steve Clark just his his came and, by, and bit him on the rear end. In the Union's first ever home game in 2010 at Lincoln Financial Field. Uh, Chris Seitz put the ball on the ground about three feet from Jaime Moreno. And Moreno was smart enough to turn around and take it right off him and put it in the net. So uh, that was my joke about the exhuming of the ghost. And right. and there were no small number of jokes on Twitter last night about the unions finally finally benefiting from somebody else's goalkeeping calamity. Now, the, you, the standings show that the union are in sixth place, which we know is a playoff spot this year, Jonathan. Um, they're still only on one point a game, which is not enough to keep them in the playoffs if they if they maintain that place based on on what everybody else is doing in the Eastern Conference. Um, is the is the recent record, the recent form, climbing into a playoff spot at least uh, for the time being in the in the standings? Is that sort of papering papering over the cracks and and maybe from a fan standpoint a bit of a double edged sword in terms of what the team might actually do to be competitive for the rest of 2015? Well, how cynical do you want me to be? Be as cynical as you normally okay, are. I don't think they're going to go out and sign any number of really great players in the summer because I don't think they have either the resources or the smarts to do it. I've said that many times. Um, the difference between the Union and a lot of the other good teams in Major League Soccer is depth, and the Union don't have it. Mm-hmm. Um, teams like Vancouver, to a certain degree D.C., obviously New England, uh, they have it in spades. And that is one of the most important um, that is one of the most important uh, traits to have in a team in major league soccer uh, is depth and it is one of the things that carries you through a season and through the playoffs uh, the depth is going to be an issue for the for the union certainly all right let's uh let's move on from from the, that game last night and, and and maybe even from the union at this point uh, on the field. And talk about something that you uh, that you linked to this morning that I just uh, had a chance to skim over very very quickly before we brought you on. Uh, this is an editorial from the uh, Inquirer, the Philadelphia Inquirer editorial board, specifically addressing the union's role in revitalizing the area of, Tra- of Chester, Pennsylvania, which is where PPL Park sits. Uh, get, just give me an overview of uh, what this editorial is addressing, and then what has actually happened at Chester to this point. Well, there were some promises made back at the time. Uh, about commercial and retail development around PPL Park that have not come to fruition. Chester's a pretty poor city. Uh, for many, many years, it didn't have its own supermarket, which is one of the biggest bellwethers of prosperity, strange as that may sound to a lot of people. Um, urban planners, sociologists, and stuff like that point to supermarkets all the time uh, as, as an indicator of a health of the city, and Chester for a long time did not have one. Um, and if you go to PPL Park now, there's an off-ramp from the Commodore Berry Bridge, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of things that have been built around the stadium. 
And Nick Sakevich has said some pretty lofty things over the years, as is pointed out uh, quite strongly in the Inquirer editorial. Uh, I'll read, I'll read uh, some excerpts from it. Uh, Sakevich, who told the Inquirer a few days ago, quote, revitalizing the city isn't what we ever promised, end quote. So here's the key graph from the Inquirer's editorial board. And before anybody asks, by the way, I'll make the same reminder that any newspaper journalist will tell you was that the Inquirer editorial board speaks for itself and not necessarily for the reporters. Right. Um, right, right, right. So here's the – however, I happen to agree with this one. Uh, all right. Here's the quote. So why did the public pay for two-thirds of the stadium? The answer, of course, is that revitalizing, revitalizing Chester is what they promised. The stadium would be, quote, the centerpiece of something special that will benefit the entire community for years and years to come, end quote, Sakevich told the Daily News in 2007. It would generate, quote, a boatload of jobs and real estate taxes, end quote, he told the Inquirer around the same time, uh, and, quote, change the face of Chester, end quote. And the sentiment was echoed by a chorus of politicians, including State Senator Dominic Pelleggi and then-Governor Ed Rendell, both of whom helped the union get $50 million in free state money to build the stadium in Chester. It's, it's situations like this, um, you know, and, and not being close enough to the situation to, to, to really have a, um, an opinion on, on how well the union have done. I'll just take it to this level, Jonathan. This, this is the reason why... Any public subsidy of, of sports stadiums go, comes up against serious opposition and while it makes it, why it makes it harder for soccer stadiums around the country to be built. And it didn't here. Now, part of that is because Rendell is one of the great political operators in American history and got it through. But there wasn't an enormous outcry at the time about it um, because the Chester waterfront, was, you know, they're just it wasn't that there were things there that were knocked down. There was just nothing there. So people saw it as an opportunity. Um, but I look, for example, at what Orlando just did, privately financing the entire stadium. Now, they don't have to go make any promises about what gets built around there. Right. And I also have some reason to believe at this point, now hindsight is twenty twenty, and hindsight is the part of some of the people with the union who I've talked to over the years of 2020. Um, if they had to do it all over again today, They'd build it where they first thought about building it, which was in the city on the in Philadelphia on the Delaware, just north of the Ben Franklin Bridge, uh, about oh I don't know, a fifteen minute walk of Mar- north of Market Street and about five minutes from a subway station, um, but, in a neighborhood this, that is now rapidly developing. But this but this deal was just too good because they got too, right. many, and, too, and, too much and money. They, don't, they didn't have the resources as an ownership group at the time to turn the free money down. Is it? This is going to be unfair, and, and I'm not being, I'm not trying to hit out at union fans. They certainly deserve all the respect in the world, especially those from the, there from the beginning, uh, with the sons of Ben and everybody who showed up at MLS Cup Finals to to cheer for their for a team that didn't exist. To boo, but not to ch- well, okay, just to sing and boo and, and make fun of the Red Bull fans or make fun of the Red Bulls. Um, do you think that this whole thing, in retrospect, based on the sons of Ben's push and i don't know maybe sugarman's situation has changed maybe that's part of this but do you feel like it maybe the whole thing was rushed a little bit by mls and by and and by no, the ownership I, I, group? I don't for okay. a couple of reasons okay. um the one is that it's the still the fourth biggest market of the country okay um 
I, I, well, okay. And they wanted they wanted to be MLS wanted to be in Major League Soccer in its first year, right? But there wasn't right. a facility in the region at the right. time to do it because Veterans Stadium and Franklin Field both had AstroTurf. I guess what I'm, I guess what I'm getting at is is maybe the ownership group is not as strong as as we've seen some other teams have, and maybe that's but that's probably also. Um, you know, a factor of the timing of when they actually came yes. to the league because the demand is much higher now and the prices yeah, are much and, higher. And, and, and the real estate market completely just cratering. Yes, right. Exactly. Right at about yeah. the time um, when uh, when uh, Sugarman when Sugarman came in. Yeah. So, so uh, it, it, and that's where his money was. It, it's just bad timing. Does that mean that they're going to be hamstrung forever or at least until somebody steps in and says, Here's fifty million dollars for the union. I want to turn them into a really big club. If uh, I'm not sure that would get it done. Somebody by comes the way. along to buy the team. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I don't know if fifty million gets it done. I'm just throwing a number out there. I, I think I think there's a number that gets it done, but I think look, you can you can operate and win in Major League Soccer inexpensively. Oh sure. You need only look to DC United for. But you got to be smart, and you got to. Right, have... And they don't have the they don't have the intelligence, and that, as I have said many times, as you have said many times. As everybody who has ever spoken about the Philadelphia Union has said many times, including most notably Kevin Brown, uh, when he was on your show recently, uh, that all lands at the feet of one man. Yeah. And if it was a simple matter of firing him, perhaps they would. But because he's a part owner, they have to buy him out and you have to put enough money on the table for him to be willing to take it. And we know that uh, you know this is his raison d'etre. To, to run soccer clubs. Whether he's good at it or not, it's kind of beyond the point. Right now, he's, he's entrenched, Jonathan. He's, he's a guy whose career is built on being part of Major League Soccer, so I can't imagine it would be easy. Even if, I mean, you'd have to, you'd have to give him you know, what, well more than what his share is worth in order to get him out. Right. Yeah. And that's not easy. That, and and certainly all. not something that, that Jay Sugarman probably wants to stomach right now. And and so so again, I'm sort of I'm sort of getting us to the point that until the ownership changes, the Philadelphia Union are are hamstrung because there's the guy at the top doesn't have the organizational um, intelligence to build a winner. He never has. I I think that's right. Okay. And I mean, I, I don't want I don't want to throw a blanket over the entire thing forever. And Union fans should absolutely hope and dream and go out every weekend and support their team. And three and four right now is a good a good sign that there's something there. But you know, but well, it, it's the fans have made their voice heard in a way that I honestly wasn't even sure they ever would. And when they brought that coffin out and it said Nick Sakevich serial franchise killer, that hit the team real hard. And uh, beyond that, you know, all people all people can do is either keep protesting or ultimately not show up. Right, right. And, and let me come back to what originally got us into this discussion. It was the revitalization of Chester, Pennsylvania. By the way, my grandfather happens to have been from Chester, Pennsylvania, so I really? at least have some connection to that area. And I would like to see it, you know, quote unquote, revitalized. I certainly would like the people of Chester whose government decided to be party to this building of a stadium in their backyard, handing out, you know, ha- handing out public uh, subsidies hand over fist. I would like for them to be rewarded for that beyond, you know, getting to run a parking lot on game day. You know right. what I'm saying? Yes. So, and, and, 
and so I guess what we have to wonder then is whether or not the union have any real pressure on them to do what the editorial board is saying they should do. And if Sikavich is backing down from comments he made eight years ago, then we don't we shouldn't expect anything. There are two ways to pressure people. Um, one is to make a lot of noise and one is to be dead silent. And it raises the question of whether apathy or antipathy is worse. And I don't know, I don't know what the right answer is in the case of the union. I certainly think that this will get a lot of attention. Um, you know, I've, I've said for years that anything I write is irrelevant compared to what fans do. But if the Inquirer editorial board, you know, puts the gauntlet down and puts Sakevich in there by name, that's a pretty big deal. You know, at this point, I, I guess maybe just to talk about the nuts and bolts of it quickly, um, before I, I'm going to move us on to the, to the Women's World Cup since you are going up. Um, th- this is on Sakevich. Now, it may not be, we may not be talking about his money or the club's money or something like that or Sugarman's money. We're talking about maybe the promise, the promises that he made need to come through other people, but he should be the person facilitating or somebody in the, in the union should be facilitating the process that gets somebody to bring in more development, more, you know, things that can, can add jobs That's and right. add, and add tax, tax revenue to the city. So how do they, I mean, from your perspective, and I'm no development expert, how does that happen? What should they do? Well, bringing in more ownership, more owners would be a start. And perhaps having some of them, those owners that they bring in, uh, be a little bit more of the public face every now and again. Nick Sakevich, um, whether he likes it or not, is the public face of the ownership group because he's the only one who speaks publicly on a regular basis. And uh, Jay Sugarman, among others, have it within their power to do something about that and thus far have chosen to not. That's just not necessarily their fault. Uh, I think overall that Sugarman is a pretty sharp guy who knows what he's doing and knows what he doesn't know, which is very important when you're an owner of a sports team. But he's delegating to the wrong guy. And certainly for something like this, if you're going to get criticized over promises regarding commercial development that you didn't make, you need to speak up. And if the person who has done most of the speaking over the years isn't properly equipped to do it, then somebody else here needs to. Let me, uh, let, let me ask you one more thing about the team operation rather than uh, necessarily the, the, the developmental issues in Chester. And, and I guess all of it reflects back because of the way MLS operates. Every, all of it reflects back on MLS, certainly uh, both because they <coughs> granted the, fan, the franchise to Philadelphia and also because of the single entity structure. So, I mean, we talk about Sugarman and Sakevich as if they're this wholly separate entity within the MLS uh, conglomerate, but that's not the case. They are part of a group that includes every other owner MLS. They have an interest in Philadelphia. They have an interest in making that team successful, maybe not on the field necessarily, but certainly from a business perspective. And that all comes, and that certainly comes back to what we're talking about, whether or not revitalizing Chester benefits the union in the long run, et cetera, et cetera. All these things are connected. Any chance at all? That MLS has been uh, annoyed to see what's happening in Philadelphia, or has has there been any rumblings that maybe New York is uh, is non is not happy with Sakevich or or anybody down in Philly? Put it this way, they're aware. Um, 
look, there's a lot of people who work at MLS headquarters who have known about Sakevich for a long time. But there's some irony in the idea that a lot of people ask MLS headquarters to butt out of various things until they ask them to butt in. Sure. <laughs> now, look, I think that the other uh, owners in MLS do have an interest in this because Major League Soccer needs television ratings. And there, in my opinion, is no better television market for sports on the East Coast than Philadelphia. And all you New Yorkers can say whatever you want. But Philadelphia delivers both overall numbers and enormous local shares, mm-hmm. um, much in the way that Chicago and Boston do. Yeah. Uh, when their teams are worthy of being paid attention to and there's a difference between worthy of being paid attention to and winning sure. i get the i get the nielsen overnights every morning in my inbox and every night they're almost always the phillies game even though right. they stink it's a very prevent provincial sports town in the way that the chicago and boston it is in a in a way that new york can be about the yankees but maybe not beyond that i mean the local rating shares for hockey during the rangers one run were really big I would say probably the Yankees, the Knicks, and the Giants are on a level levels by themselves, and we don't even know. But what but, the but again, like. those, you're right. Those things can be kind of hit and miss, and I'm not, I'm not saying that, that that more people aren't watching right. those sports in New York than in Philadelphia, just based on the populations of the two regions. But right, share wise, absolutely what yes. you're talking about. And, and, now, and here's here's the union and any team in Philadelphia can do what the Blackhawks are doing in Chicago right now, what the Red Sox have done for Boston over the years. Maybe not to that degree, but heck, when the arena football team, the Seoul, won the, their championship a couple of years ago, they were on the back page of the Daily News. Why? Because nobody else was winning at any time. <laughs> um, uh, Philadelphia can absolutely be, you know, the linchpin of that, of that I-95 corridor rivalry situation. I mean, uh, they, they kind of get passed over now. DC United's good. The Red Bulls are good. Philadelphia, not the, the Revs are good. Not Philadelphia, not so much. And they kind of get left out. They could certainly be major players in that whole situation. And it, um, it, as you said, that's why MLS should have some sort of interest. We'll see what's ha- what's happening here. Before I have to let you go, a couple of minutes on on the Women's World Cup, Jonathan, um, getting ready to kick that off. It's been completely uh, overshadowed by FIFA Apocalypse. And I, uh, I was called out on my Sirius XM show, I think either yesterday or the day before, for not talking about the Women's World Cup enough. Is, that, is there a sense that you get as you get ready to cover the tournament that not, not enough t- attention is going that way because of what's happening in Zurich and, and with the FBI? Certainly. Um, but on the merits, I mean, it, it's, it's a big deal, and everybody knows it's a big deal. Um, and I think a lot of people are saddened that the Women's World Cup has been knocked down a little bit. But at the same time, um, on nobody's going to disagree with it, you know? Yeah. Um, because it's the right thing that we all need to be discussing and, and, and raising awareness and making it clear that um, over here in America, we do actually know what we're talking about and we know why we're talking about it. Um, but I think that if at this point, you know, everything has been unsealed, it looks like that is going to be unsealed. The only thing left, it appears, 
that hasn't been unsealed yet is Jose Huila's guilty plea. And the judge in New York said no because the government made a convincing argument for keeping it under seal, which leads me to believe they've got something more coming. But even so, um, I think there might be a lull here for a little while. And right on cue on Saturday night, Canada will take the field in Edmonton and on Monday, the U.S. in Winnipeg. And I think that next Friday, when the U.S. plays Sweden in the crucial group stage game, it'll be broadcast on Fox over the air. Both the NBA and NHL finals are off that night. Okay. I think you're going to be looking at a monster audience. Yeah, well, that's that's the, that's going to get me the question here about the TV ratings. What represents? I mean, I've had some questions about about Fox's treatment of the tournament or how well they'll do, whether or not they care. They certainly do, but how well they'll do is they get they dip their toes into a big tournament into big tournament waters. But what what represents success for them when it comes to the ratings? I'm not asking for a number, but but certainly there's got to be some sense that they are making a dent in the overall sports programming situation, not just. Oh, here's a niche thing that you know is going to get a, a one. I've said for a long time that the soccer season in America runs from the end of the NBA Finals to the start of NFL training camp. And uh, if the U.S. gets on a really long run, makes the semis, makes the final perhaps uh, in prime time, we saw the 2011 final, which was an afternoon game, was the most watched women's soccer game in U.S. TV history. I have to imagine that record's going down. As for the teams uh, you mentioned, as they go on a deep run, it obviously is going to bring more ratings for Fox. They, they'll certainly be hoping for that. They've been playing up the whole retribution revenge angle. Against whom? I, I know, I know, I know. We've had this discussion before, Jonathan. But certainly there's there's something to be said for that That this group has a lot of pressure. There's there's certainly some of the, there's some of the core that's probably on their last tournament or close to their last tournament, if not. I mean, uh, the women's players seem to have a, mu- a lot longer lifespan. Their careers have a longer lifespan than the men. But um, there's certainly something to be said for the fact they haven't won since 99. There's pressure there. This is in their backyard. You know, it's next door. It's not in their backyard. It's next door. And, and you know, Abby Wambach and all the news that she's made with the comments that she's had. There's, there's, there are storylines for Fox to mine. Oh, they're great storylines. And, and these, these players are tremendous personalities in addition to being tremendous athletes and tremendous soccer players. And I think they understand how to be stars and how to embrace the spotlight in a way that I think some of the, uh, some of the other teams in the World Cup do, but not all of them. And there may well, in fact, I think there are a couple of better teams in the tournament in France and Germany. But the biggest question hanging over France's head is whether they are able to handle all of the spotlight and the pressure that's going to be on them. And I think that that will be to a degree to an advantage to the United States. The question is whether it will be enough. Jonathan, as you get prepared to, to cover this tournament, certainly we'll check in with you when we can while you're in Canada while the tournament's going on. Uh, you know, I've already I've heard some some anecdotal stories about the lack of of um, promotion for this tournament. Certainly, in a place like uh, like Vancouver, which is going to play a central part in in crowning a champion. I just on Vancouver, I dispute that having been okay. up there. Okay, All right, uh, but enough. some of the other markets, I believe it, and that's that's Canada's own fault. Well, that's what certainly get promoted a lot down here. That's what I'm asking. Is there is there a is there a sense that this is? I mean, who does that fall to? I mean, we, we're going through FIFA apocalypse right now, so I imagine that there's not a lot of money flowing from Zurich into the 
into the, the advertising uh, budget of of, Can- of Canada 2015. But there's that there should be. I mean, that, that that's really where the the impetus lies. It lies with FIFA, right? It lies with FIFA. It lies with the Canadian Soccer Association. It lies with Bell. It lies with uh, some of the newspapers up there. Uh, you know that probably should not have been giving some of this stuff short shrift, especially when it's happening in their markets. Um, you know, the Enquirer is going big in on this thing. You know, we've got pages and pages of World Cup preview coverage coming, starting today, running through the weekend um, that I've helped write and that a bunch of my colleagues have helped write. And it's not like we've got a ton of money sitting around, as I've made fairly clear over the last few weeks. Um, but they see this as being worth their time to be at and report on. And, uh, I, you know, I can't, I can't speak for the Canadian media. I can only speak for the American media. It's going to be a big deal down here. Well, I, think, uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think it helps that the Canadian women are not really um, fa- fancied as a, as a favorite, that they're probably fifth or sixth and, on that list. Uh, you know what I don't think helps? There's a culture in the – I'm going to take a shot here. Okay, take a shot as you go out. There's a culture in the Canadian soccer community that doesn't want big personality stars. And I think it's part of the reason why they can't stand Sidney LaRue. Interesting. Because if she was theirs, they'd be over the, I think they'd be over the moon. Sure. But one of the reasons why they're so upset with her is not just that she turned tail, but that she's got a big persona. Interesting. Jonathan Tannenwald from Philly.com talking a myriad of topics there. Make sure you check out that, uh, that Inquire editorial board piece on um, or, or commentary on the lack of the uh, lack of, rub, of of investment in Chester by the team. If if you're interested in that kind of thing, if not, then uh, make sure you check out the the goalkeeper on Twitter and follow Jonathan as he gets ready to go to Canada and cover the Women's World Cup. A Jonathan. pleasure. My alarm clock goes off at three o'clock Saturday morning. All right. Well, then we'll uh, uh, we won't we won't be calling you uh, <laughs> tomorrow. Then we'll let you. The, the best thing about all of this, by the way, I've been involved with women's soccer in various ways for a long time. Is all of this avalanche of American media coverage across the board the biggest compliment? that I can pay to all of it and to the growth of women's soccer in this country is that it's simply being treated as soccer. Right. Doesn't matter who plays it. Right. It's good to see. Jonathan Tannewald goes out. We're going to bring in David Cartledge and talk Spanish football, European football, FIFA apocalypse, and more. Don't go anywhere. Soccer Morning. WorldSoccerTalk.com. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we go, talking a little Spanish football. Champions League final. Perhaps a little bit more with David Cartledge. He joins us now on the telephone, and I did not have to bribe him to be here. Hi, David. Hello there. No bribes were taken, indeed. No, we are. We are. This is a, a transparent, clean operation here, unlike FIFA. I'm going to start. I'm going to ask you a couple about a couple of things uh, and how they're being covered in Spain, uh, David. First, we just got done talking a little bit about the Women's World Cup, which starts in a couple of days up in Canada, and the Spanish women are going for the first time. Is there any interest at all in Spain? Um, there is some interest, but it's, it's not a great deal. It, it is followed. I mean, how they do will be followed, but not in a big way. I think. I mean, as, as 
it doesn't sound very nice, but I think people will be following transfers and the goings on at Real Madrid a little bit more. But it will get a little bit interest. Um, women's football at a club level in Spain is it, it, followed well, and it's okay. a particular That's amount good. of the club's budget. So it, it does hold some weight, but uh, not a great deal. Okay, so it's good, but it's good to hear that the clubs are investing something in the women's game. So that, oh, yes, yeah, certainly. Okay. Uh, the other thing that we want to talk about how the Spanish co- press is covered is obviously the, the FIFA scandal and, and the, the things that are unraveling daily, David. I mean, I went over some of the recent developments, obviously, in our part of the world over here. Chuck Blazer is central to, this, to the case. Jack Warner is in Trinidad talking madness on television, uh, talking about how he's, he fears for his life and he's going to drop a... Or he's going to, to was it an avalanche on FIFA with all of his knowledge? We obviously had Seb Blatter stepping down on Tuesday, or at least preparing to step down uh, on Tuesday. How is this? What kind of attention is this getting in, in Spain? It's just a, a classic Spain attitude of uh, dealing with things. Again, it's, it, it's very passive. They, they, <laughs> they're not really viewing it as, uh, say, they may be doing so in England and then they are in the US with their fantastic. The way the investigation has gone in America and the way it's been reported by outlets like the New York Times has been fantastic. But in Spain, oh my, oh my God, it, it's 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 shameful, really. There's again, there's no acknowledgement of what that really anything major, majorly has has gone wrong from the press. You know, there's just a strange attitude towards it, and it's not surprising when the man who is the the head of the Spanish Football Association, the RFEF president, is Angel Maria Villar, uh, Villar who is one of Sepp Blatter's best uh, buddies and um, was one of the three European countries to, to back Blatter in the recent vote. That's, uh, it's, it's very interesting. I mean, you know, look, we, we know the English are in a tizzy partly because of um, the 2018 bidding. We know the Americans are in a tizzy, whether that's because the FBI is just doing their jobs or because they're upset about 2022. That's uh, sort of in the eye of the beholder right now. Um, I, I, the rest of Europe, I, I, I'd be fascinated to know how the Italians and, the, and the, certainly the the French and the Germans are, are looking at this, but th- that's that's stunning to me. So, is this partly because um, of a cultural acceptance of of graft in general? If I don't want to, I want to put that on the Spanish people. But if that's something that's built in, is that part of the the understanding of maybe why they're not jumping up and down about about this? Yeah, I mean, we've discussed this um, particular issue um, about the Spanish culture and about the, how they deal with things like this quite a few times on the show, especially when it comes to the, the strikes more recently. Um, and the culture is almost acceptance that these things go on. And, I mean, you've got to look. They've got a man in charge, Villar, who, who everybody knows what he's been doing wrong for, for quite a lot of years. And then there comes a bigger issue, perhaps not for this edition of the show, on doping as well. And there's a big, there's a big you know, there's a... He turns a blind eye, shall we say, to some of the misdemeanors that's going on in, in Spain regarding their sport over recent years. You know, there's a there's a lot of underworld things that have gone on in cycling and football, and they're not really dealt with in the, in the manner they should in Spain. It's ignored, and and realize a, a man who who is behind that, shall we say? Very interesting stuff, indeed. Um, now we've uh, we've buried the lead. I suppose we've buried the lead a little bit, only because this is happening on Saturday. But we do have a Champions League final. We'll come to, to Rafa Benitez and, and Real Madrid and maybe some other issues within the league in a second. But the Champions League final coming up on Saturday between Barcelona and Juventus and, and a, a, a pretty, a pretty dam- a damaging development for Juventus with Giorgio Chiellini apparently out of the match uh, for Juve. How does, uh, how does that affect things for Barcelona? I mean, they would expect to be able to, to create chances, but this just makes it perhaps even a little bit easier. Yeah, I mean, 
they've got the magical three, haven't they? So I don't think they'll be bothered which centre back they came up. I mean, if they came up against uh, Beresi and Beckenbauer, they they wouldn't really be bothered, you know. <laughs> they've got that magic trio, and so they they don't really mind. And I think Juventus got You're speaking from that perspective, obviously. Juventus fans and Italian footballers, football fans, will know better than me. But I think Barzagli is a more than competent uh, replacement. Sure. He has yeah. finished the season extremely strong. And as uh, Barcelona gets ready to to, to take on this uh, this challenge and uh, and go for this trophy, everything everything's just uh, going swimmingly for them right now. Is there any injury concerns? Any um, any issues at all that? Uh, th- that uh, Luis Enrique is dealing with that we might not know about? Um, I mean, the only issue where occurred after the, the Copa del Rey win was uh, Iniesta's potential injury. But um, he insisted yesterday, in, in, um, just after he, he made that incredible speech um, to Xavi yesterday, Xavi said goodbye. Um, he, he, there's no way that he is not going to play a part in this final. So whether he starts or whether he comes on from the, from the bench, but he, he will play a part. And that was, I mean, it's literally the, the headline today. Luis Enrique, he's taken the whole squad. Everybody's going. Everybody's going to be part of the trip. Is there? Give me a sense of what the context of this of this win. I mean, winning the league, winning Copa del Rey. If they get the treble here, where does this team fit in in the lore of Barcelona? Uh, where, especially in over the last uh, you know ten years or so. Yeah, I mean, when you look at it, that's the thing, and that's the position that everybody's in right now because this team. Uh, you've got three main, I think, two main Barca teams before this. You've got the Dream Team, of course, Cruyff's Dream Team, and then you've got Pep Guardiola's team, which was the second coming of that. And I don't think anybody really expected this this, this particular Barcelona generation, this particular squad to achieve what they have. You know, we've got Iniesta and Javi in the, the twilight of their career. One of them's going to Qatar, for God's sake. And then you've got, obviously, the, the attack is fantastic, but the rest of the team, the midfield, the defence, it, it isn't a total entity of, you know, the top of world football, but it's the magical three that have gotten, gotten them there, and that's what's going to be synonymous with this particular group. Um, not the dream team, not Pep's tiki-taka, it's going to be the magic three for, for, for this team. And, um, and, and that's going to be the big difference for, uh, in, in this group, basically. It's uh, it's it's fascinating to see this kind of come together. In the, I mean, we at one point, not that we were burying Barcelona, but we were, we certainly wrote a lot of eulogies over Pep Guardiola's teams and and the the not the death of Tiki Taka, but the I don't know the the, the evolution, the the, the steamrolling past Tiki Taka. Yeah, clearly. the progression of it. The, 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 it is, it's the progression of it. I think Barcelona. I think that was the thing what Luis Enrique was tasked with. They needed to get away from Tiki Taka. They needed to retain some of it, but they needed to progress it a bit because I think when they'd been beaten in the past in the big games, they were found out to just have that one way of playing. But Luis Enrique is more direct, in, and that's where he's brought to the team. You know, and it's interesting, David, because the the shadow cast by Pep's team and by Tiki Taka is so large. And I was asked not more not, not more than a week ago by somebody about my opinion on on Tiki Taka and. You know, I did go through a progression during that that era where it was, wow, this is this is amazing. Look at how, look at how skilled they are. Look at how they they hold the ball. To eventually deciding, I maybe I'm a little bored with this. So it still it still has a major influence in how we think about about modern football tactics and and, and styles. And here's Barcelona going to do something magnificent without playing that style. I I, I don't know. I just find that fascinating. Yeah, I mean, I think it is. It is. It's fascinating, and um, above all, I think it's it's just really important. It's what Barcelona needed. I think there is still a little bit of discontent from the Barcelona side that Luis Enrique he, he hasn't really got the uh, a claim that Pep Guardiola has. He has 
with, with the fans, he hasn't got that report. Maybe he's a bit more cold, or he doesn't really, I don't know, appease them in a way. Yeah, but, but I like him. I think personally, he's fantastic, and he's perfect for what Barcelona have done, and, and he has done it. He is one game away from making history now. When a couple of months ago, after that game at the weather in January. He was on the verge of being booted out by a lot of people, yeah, which yeah. would have been, I think, which I think, I mean, obviously it's great we have hindsight now, but I think it would have been a great shame. I know it's easy for me to say that now, but it would have been for a great shame. For yeah, him to go there. You know, his personal trajectory has been fascinating in, in just this one season. Let me move over before we run out of time here, David, and talk about obviously Barcelona's biggest rival, Real Madrid. The um, Carlo Ancelotti out, Rafa Benitez in. This is, uh, again, I think we've already talked about it seems a little, it feels a little underwhelming. Um, you know, certainly Rafa is not a, a poor coach by any stretch of the imagination, but his, uh, his personal record sort of matches where Real Madrid has been with, uh, w- with failure to win the league in their usual, uh, the, the usual numbers. And, and certainly, uh, they do have the last year's Champions League title, but there's, is it, is it, is Rafa going to get them back to that level? And, and there's some serious question here. Yeah, it is. It is. It's a very big question. And for me, I have to say, I mean, obviously we'll go back to the end of the season. They might have won everything and then I can look silly. But for me right now, nothing makes sense with Rafa Benitez, him coming in. Um, I think that obviously there is positives where he can, he can bring. I think the squad needs a better way of rotating players. The squad needs to be used better. I think Ancelotti used a small group of players. Benitez is big on rotation. But I think otherwise the squad is completely not designed for Rafa Benitez. We've seen a link to Marco Verratti today, and, and maybe that is something that Benitez will it'll kind of edge towards the squad being more in his model. But I think right now he's just the wrong manager for this squad, and it's gonna. It's, I think it's too much of a big change for Real Madrid. I don't think it's a change they needed. It's 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 far far too engulfing. I think for them. Uh, let's talk about uh, some um, some other teams in Spain. What's the situation right now with Elche? And the financial irregularities and the possibility that uh, that Ibar may stay up because of them. Yeah, that's right. So um, Elche they own about eight point five million to to, to the taxman uh, in Spain and also to players. Um, around four point five million or five million euros of that is 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 due immediately. And mm. um, they can't pay that immediately. But what they can get away with in Spain is basically. It's something called commissary note that they can basically say, this is how we're going to pay it. This is when it's going to be paid. This is how much you're going to pay. And that is good enough. And as long as they back that up, then that's okay. But they've shown that. They've gotten an okay from that, from one source, from the, from the treasury, from the taxman who they owe the money to. But because there are teams like Ibar who are fighting against trying to get back in place, they are wanting a judge involved. And the judge needs to decide whether the Treasury's okay is enough and whether they can stay in the league. Um, yesterday, a report came out saying that they'd been relegated. They then had a press conference and said nobody's communicated anything to us. Um, so Elche, for right now, a Premier Division team. I mean, things could change in the next couple of hours, but there has been no response from the judge, and that is what everybody's waiting on. But even then, this case could then go to the Court of Arbitration of Sports. So we could maybe be looking at a July not knowing until July when preseason begins, whether Elche are in the top flight. Uh, let's just let's just go ahead and note again that it is always a travesty when these type of things are decided in a courtroom rather than on the field. David, oh, oh absolutely. Look, what Elche have done, it, it's just incredible. It's, just, it's astonishing. These players haven't been played for maybe three, four months, 
and they have they have not they got a mid table finish. They didn't just scrape relegation. They were safe by quite a few games. What they did was was unbelievable. So the manager hadn't been paid. His coaching staff, his technical staff hadn't been paid. The players hadn't been paid. But they turned in week after week, training, going to games as well, and they were winning games and getting good points. And they were safe a long, long time before the last day of the season. And it's just it's, it's a shame. For me, football should be settled on the field. And if they have shown that they can pay this money, what then that I think should be good enough. And especially, but it's the game is played in the field, not in the not in the tax office, not in the north. David Cartledge, follow him on Twitter. It's David J A C A. He has amazing hair. He's an editor over at BN Sports and uh, writes about uh, Spanish football for many other outlets. Appreciate the time, David. It's always great to have you on. Thanks a lot, man. Look forward to it again. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll open up the phone lines, do a segment of that. Do you want to talk about Women's World Cup or FIFA, FIFA Apocalypse or anything that David hit? Now's the time. Soccer Morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com. Be right back. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we go back on Soccer Morning. Phone lines now open 646-832-3909. Perhaps you have things on your mind you'd like to talk about. Perhaps you've seen the latest from Jack Warner. Perhaps you'd like to comment on Chuck Blazer saying that basically he took bribes for everything. No surprises. I mean, this, again, I have to hit every time I'm asked by some sort of non-soccer media outlet, whether I go on a radio show and it's sports talk or I've uh, done a couple of hits for HuffPost Live recently. Every time I'm asked, the first thing I say is, we knew it was happening. We all knew. For years, there have been whispers and rumors, and this is going on, and wait a second, how is Jack Warner... To, I mean... <laughs> It just, it, it finally took somebody saying enough is enough. And that's the FBI. Department of Justice saying that, enough, enough. Stop, guys. Stop it. And again, I think it may have been just, well, first of all, that's their job to go after crime. And I don't really buy into the whole false dichotomy of, well, they should have been going after the bankers. Yeah, they should be doing that. But that doesn't mean they can't go after FIFA and soccer officials as well. And I, I still, I still rail against the notion that all of this is sour grapes. Seth Blatter said it. Some people seem to believe it. Because the United States lost the 2022 bid, that's why the FBI went after FIFA. I don't, I don't know that they wouldn't go after FIFA if the United States had gotten that bid. I, I, I mean, you, the problem is you can't prove it either way. I just, I, I just have trouble with this notion of, we were pissed off about the World Cup bidding in 2022, so... That's why that's why FBI the FBI went after FIFA. I I don't buy that. Six four six eight three two three nine zero nine. Maybe I have too much faith in the FBI. Probably do. We live in a world where everybody's skeptical and and dist, distrustful of the government and of and the police and everything else. Why should I trust the FBI to do their jobs? 
I don't know. As we mentioned, the Women's World Cup getting ready to start. A couple of days away. United States women, have not heavy favorites by any stretch of the imagination. Certainly Germany and France carry those tags as well. But a lot of pressure on the U.S. women to perform. And not many people within American soccer circles who think they can get the job done. The people who will pay most attention to this league seem to be very down on the U.S. women at the moment. Just not good enough. Can't beat France. Can't beat Germany. Going to struggle in, in the later rounds. Certainly, they'll get through the group stage by, you know, fairly easily, I imagine. I mean, it's a tough group by women's soccer standards, but this U.S. women's team is capable of getting out of the group. But as for winning a title, different story. Let's go to Landon out in Salt Lake. What's up, Landon? Hey, Jason. That, that 24 hours of no cynicism is over, so I can actually start you know, talking about what I really care about now. Ah, yes. You, you're done oh. celebrating Sepp's ouster, and now you're going to give us your real cynical take. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. It was great, though, man. I'm telling you. Recommend it if you didn't do it. But uh, so anyways, I'm calling yesterday. Someone had mentioned this, too, talking about kind of the difference between the first world countries and, and the World Cup and, and the third world countries. And you kind of talked a bit about, you know, why is it, is it really fair for only the first world countries to hold the World Cup and, and you know, that, that whole kind of thing. And, and I just wanted to call in and talk, talk a bit about that. So in 2007 to 2009, I actually lived in Brazil. Um, and it was really interesting to see all the preparations for the World Cup and how they talked about it. So Brazil, obviously, a humongous soccer nation, right? I mean, that's, that's where I learned to love soccer and they can eat, sleep, and breathe it. And they hated it. They hated the fact. Every, every person I talked to hated the fact that the World Cup was coming into Brazil. And they talked about that because, and I, I worked with, with mostly, I mean, almost all Brazils in poverty, but that's specifically where I worked at when I was there. And all, all of the time, there just wasn't enough money for anything. The government never had enough money. And once, you know, once the World Cup was announced, money just came out. You know, came out of the coffers, right? Came out of everywhere. And it was terrible for Brazil. I think a lot of people forget the riots before the World Cup in oh, Brazil. I know. I know. Where, we, we covered it. Coming, we, we, I'm just saying we covered it heavily on this show. Uh, it was it was a central theme of, of this show for like like a month. We, we did a, pretty much all Brazil coverage all the time. And. I, 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 sorry, Landon. I get. I'm getting. You're, you're making a very good point here. Let's not forget. I mean, it's very easy for people to go. Oh, South Africa benefited. Okay, but they, they benefited in some ways. They suffered in others. Brazil. Ultimately, everything turned out well in the end. Well, not really. Five hundred million dollar stadiums yeah. are parking lots, and they still they spent all of that money that did not go to healthcare and education. They're clearing out more favelas for the 2016 Olympics. I mean. It's a disaster. It is a disaster. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, they, they, they didn't benefit. I talked, so I got a, I have a bunch of friends there now, and they still talk about it, and people are still incredibly upset about it. I have a friend who's in Brasilia, and it's, you know, the, the city joke is that stadium in there. Mm-hmm. Um, no, and so, like, go, going back to what the caller said yesterday, it's, I, I understand that FIFA wants to be fair, and, you know, blah, 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 and that's why every country gets, you know, one country, one vote, which is obviously ridiculous and just grounds for corruption. Um, but it's just life isn't fair, and it, it should not be run that way. Countries that have the infrastructure for the World Cup should be hosting it, and those who don't shouldn't. I mean, it should be should be pretty clear. Yeah, you know, th- thanks for the call, Landon. I, I I tend to agree with you. Um, you know, the mandate to spread the game can that they can be done in other ways. It doesn't have to be the World Cup. 
that you use to spread the, the word of football around the world, et cetera, et cetera, especially when it involves spending billions and billions of dollars on stadiums. Even if Cutter can do it, should they? That's a different question. And they obviously shouldn't if they have to import all of the labor. What's up, Claudio? Hey, Jason. I'm going to be shifting gears on you a little bit, okay. if you don't mind. Go ahead. Uh, one of the things that I wanted to talk about was the, uh, uh, you were talking, you've been talking about a couple of days, and this is actually your recent color, about the FIFA voting one, one vote, one country. I was thinking that about maybe some, take a completely different direction and use something similar that the United States uses in the electoral college. Mm-hmm. You know, certain regions get a certain amount of votes, and maybe those votes we can use them, uh, determine them by the number of World Cup of spots that they get. Uh, yeah, okay, but that's, see, that right there is fairly arbitrary, right? I mean, that, there's so much of that is based on the historical power within those confederations. I mean, the, the reason that, and UEFA wants more, more spots because, oh, look at all our great soccer countries. Yeah, okay. I, I see that, but does that make for an equitable World Cup that represents the, you know, if, if UEFA wants more spots, they can go have their own tournament. They already do that with the Euros. They can have another one. Invite a couple of countries in, fill out the field. Boom. You've got your tournament. The World Cup, and this is why I, I, when people bring up the, the World Cup should be or isn't as strong as the Euros or it's not as strong as Copa America, the quality of play is not as high, that's not the point. The point is that it, it's supposed to be the world, and you have to include countries from, from regions that are not as traditionally strong. Otherwise, you're not representing the world, and then what's the point? We might as well just have our well, individual confederation well, tournaments. Use it. Go ahead. Well, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, but, no, go ahead. I mean, I wouldn't say like, like, uh, you know, for example, CONCACAF just gets three and a half votes regardless. It's, we can allocate those three and a half votes however we want. We can use, spread them all out among different, different, uh, issues or whatever, or just bundle them all, bundle them all up into one thing. So, I mean, if you've got a, a confederation as diverse as, say, like Asia or Europe, I mean, they can, they can maybe get their votes to best represent their ideas or their their uh, you know their interests. I, I, it's an interesting idea. I, I mean, I've, I've seen a lot of like proposals floated out there, Claudio, about how to do this that where you do give more power to the stronger countries, certainly to the countries that have um, you know um, the economic bring the economic benefits to the game and certainly have the infrastructure and maybe the population, and then balancing that out against the idea of again allowing smaller countries to develop within the game. But, you know, the, 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 the issue for a lot of people is that, you know, we want to make it as democratic as possible. But if you do that, there, like, there's no chance, no matter how much money you dump into a country like Fiji or Togo or whatever, they're only going to get so big. They can only compete on, on, on you know, the, the, there's a ceiling there for them. And it's based on population for the most part. If you've only got, 100,000 people, the chances that you're going to put together a team that's going to go to the World Cup are essentially nil. That doesn't mean you shouldn't invest in them. It doesn't mean they shouldn't have some sort of say, but you are overvaluing them if you give them a single vote that's the same as the vote of Germany or Argentina or the U.S. So I, I'm with right. you. I'm with you on one level. I just, the, the mechanism itself, Claudio, is difficult. Well, yeah, they just, the, the current mechanism just, uh... You know, scares me on the current, multiple levels, and who knows the unintended consequences of the of the one that I proposed. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly, and that's the thing. You don't know exactly. Appreciate the call, Claudio. You don't know exactly what impact it's going to have until you institute it. 
So you may say, you know, in a high-minded way, a Democratic vote, 209 countries, everybody gets a single vote, sounds amazing. Sounds amazing. But then you put it into practice and you realize it creates a system that is just ripe for people to take money for their votes. It's a, it, it creates a system of graft. Robert in L.A., what's up? Hey, good morning, Jason. Uh, I just wanted to continue with the, the you know, the FIFA scandal discussion. And uh, it seems like every day there's, like, something new. So, like, I don't know what we're going to find out today. Uh, but I want to talk about the uh, Chuck Blazer uh, and uh, Jack Warner. Do you think if this and, – and FIFA is, like, trying to uh, – I'm sorry. They're trying to just blame it on the – not FIFA itself, but on the Confederation. You know, like trying to trying to pass the buck. If you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Do you think it's, it it has to be FIFA? Okay, it, it just can't be the 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 confederations that are doing this, correct? Oh no! Well, everything's connected. I mean, you know, the president of this confederation is a vice president of FIFA, so it's not like there's any real separation. Yes, yeah, so that's why I see. It's just I'm uh, I just see uh, you know, it was uh, Jack Warner that said he was gonna. He was going to testify, or not testify, but he said he has information against that flyer. He's been saying that for years, but yes, he's, he's, he's recently come out and said again that he has information about Seth Blatter knowing about bribes and, and that he could take him down. Okay. All right. That's what I want to know. All right. And I, I'm just, uh, I'm just, ex- I'm just I'm, uh, nervous about what's going to happen today. It just feels like, as soon as, like, you know, as soon as your show's over, something new breaks. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So that's what I wanted to say. All right. Appreciate yeah, it's just as soon as, like, you know, five minutes. Yeah, thanks for taking my call, Jesus. Thanks, Robert. Yeah, something will, something will drop. Let's, spec- let's mindlessly speculate what's going to drop today as soon as the show is over. Now, and, and you know, obviously you guys know, if you're not SiriusXM subscribers, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to plug that show. I'm just going to let you know. Obviously, you know I do that as part of my schedule. So we get done with this show, and we go over there, and we do that show, and whatever. The, the bladder press conference happened in the last 15 minutes of the, of the, of the serious show. No, I am plugging the show. I'm just, Trevor's like, why wouldn't we plug that show? Yes, absolutely we would. If you don't have Sirius XM, you should consider getting it because seriously, Sirius XM FC is fantastic. You get all those, um, those music channels and everything else. You should absolutely check that out. Great stuff. Uh, but the Sepp Blatter press conference happened in the last 15 minutes of my Tuesday show at Sirius XM. And we're sitting there padding and padding and padding. I'm on the air live trying to say, well, well we're checking on things in Zurich. And as soon as there's a development, we'll send you live. You know, my best newsman thing. We listen to the audio and then I've got to throw it to somebody. It just give us some better timing, please. The next round of indictments and arrests need to happen while we're on the air. Like in like like first hour, so I can have a second hour to talk about it. And again, as I mentioned, this thing is unra- unraveling as we speak. Day on day, you know, Jonathan Tannehill came on and said he thinks there's going to be a lull. I think there may be a lull in terms of the legal element of it, what the FBI is doing, the indictments, the arrests, etc., the leaks of or the releases unsealing of of testimony from Chuck Blazer that's not happening again we might not get anything else unsealed but there will be new news every day here's a perfect example from the independent in Ireland 
Exclusive. FIFA's Irish firm, which sent millions to Zurich headquarters. Blatter listed as director of Dublin Company for seven years with millions in revenue, but no staff listed. FIFA Ireland LTD counted FIFA boss Sepp Blatter among its directors and transferred massive sums to its parent organization in Switzerland. It was established here in 2001 for tax purposes and had an office in the IFSC for most of its years in business. Today, the Herald can reveal the extent of FIFA's business activities in Ireland, including how it received millions in revenue from the sales of licensing rights in the relation to the 2002 World Cup, transferred vast sums to FIFA in Zurich in the form of license fees, had no directly employed staff in the period covered by its accounts, asked the Football Association of Ireland officials to serve as directors. The sums of money in FIFA Ireland's LTD's accounts were recorded in Swiss francs. So again, what does this mean exactly? I don't know yet. But it's going to continue to unravel. That's why it's FIFA apocalypse, guys. It's not not one day. It's not a one-day apocalypse. It's a multiple-day, week, month, year apocalypse. FIFA apocalypse. And again, I'll ask what my board says. Where's my bride? Thank you very much to Donathan Tannewald, David Cartlidge for joining us on today's program. Thank you for listening, everybody. Uh, check out the... Uh, Backkill.com slash store for your soccer morning mug and some awesome t-shirts, including the Andrea Pirlo, which I think is Trevor's pride and joy. Is a free kick really free? Good stuff. Make sure you go to 3nilfc.com to buy a soccer morning t-shirt. It's blue. It's fantastic. Uh, iTunes. Go to iTunes. Give us a rating and a review. I haven't mentioned that in a while. I have no idea where we rank. We should be really high. Thank you, guys. Talk to you tomorrow. Friday. Bye.